You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. I tried to cover a lot of this when we were first introducing it in the first hour, um, so I won't necessarily deal with it in the same way, but a little differently. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Whenever you study the Bible, you want to really study it in paragraphs, because paragraphs are simple thoughts. In English, we're taught that the paragraph is one simple thought, and everything within that paragraph, there's a thesis sentence or a major sentence, and everything within that thought then um, is surrounding that one major thesis, that one major thought. And that's how you should study the Bible if you're going intense study. If you're just reading, you're reading. But you need to learn how to divide the Bible up into paragraphs. There are several ways you can do that. And then preach from paragraphs. If I'm, when I'm preaching over the years, if you've heard me teach or preach, I guarantee you I am preaching a paragraph. That's my choice, even if the paragraphs are long. Last night I went from Romans 3, 21 through 31. There's one main idea there. That's introduction of justification. In Paul... Um, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, uh, there is one main thought, and that is Paul becomes whatever he needs to become in the setting that he finds himself, and he sees that as being, uh, as being able to evangelize whomever he comes across. And... and People have used it, well, I become all things to all men. In, in Christendom, we have used it inappropriately uh, to try to become what somebody else is. Uh, no, I stay who I am, but I know where I am, and I know what they think, and so that gives me the opportunity to come alongside and speak to them. I don't become them. Um, uh, I mean, the silly thing would be if I was a... If I was going into the inner city, primarily into a, a black section of an inner city downtown, and I, you know, man, I'm I'm this six foot four white honky. I mean, you know, so. But if 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 the styles were that, you know, the britches are down here and the boxer shorts are coming out the back, and I've got my bandana or my in my big shirt or whatever in the gold chains, that that's not what the I don't do that. I mean, everybody sees through that. That's just stupid. You know, I, Pat Boone was trying to minister to kids 40 years or 30 years ago, maybe, and he spiked his hair all up. Pat Boone was spiked hair, right? Huh? Everybody knew that was stupid, except Pat. And I'm not teasing him, but I am. I'm making fun because, but that's what we do. We've, we've taken these verses and we've said, Oh, it's okay to become them. It's never okay to become them. Jesus didn't change his clothes to minister to different people. He changed his attitude. He changed his demeanor. He met them where they were at. And that's what it means to become all things to all people. Well, Paul says this, He's free from all men, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. So this whole paragraph is really all about evangelizing and reaching out to the people that are around us and not being limited 
Pastor Steve and I talked a little bit earlier this year about for years I traveled just to the churches that knew the message of the cross because, or that wanted the message of the cross because they were learning it. It was a, a new movement. It was a new information, and they needed, um, they needed that information to get started with it. And now the network has continued to expand, and we have people that are call up that have no clue what the message of the cross is. They're, they kind of have an inkling, but they might not be preaching it yet, and I'm going there. It's a, it's a new journey because I feel like uh, I need to come alongside the people that have not yet understood and try to become all things to all men. But I, I don't change what I am. I don't change my message. I just work based upon where I know they are. And man, I've been in some different places this year. I mean, I've been everywhere and then, you know, Johnny Cash, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Um, the, but it's to bring the truth of the gospel, and if I know what they're already thinking, then I can try to adapt my message to where they are, not where, so they can get to where they need to be. Paul never compromised his faith or his ethic to evangelize, so we must not either. So in verse 20 he says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. Paul did not feel that he was violating New Covenant practice when he, for instance, shaved his head and came under a vow. That was normal for Jews when he left Concre, when he left Italy. When he came and James said, we hear that you're preaching against the law in Acts 21, 22. He said, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to show that you have respect for the law by paying the price of the sacrifices for the guys that have taken a vow so that we know that you still respect the law and that you still teach the law. And if you'll do that, then we'll all come together as the church and hear what you have to say about the law. Well, interestingly enough, Paul had never had the opportunity to preach in Jerusalem. As far as we know, he never had, never did. And Paul agreed to do that, and even scholarship today said, well, why did he do that? Because that's where the church at Jerusalem was. They didn't understand the new covenant yet. They didn't get the whole concepts of it. They were Christians, but they didn't understand what Paul was teaching. They didn't understand they were freed from the law. There was still confusion about that, and, and rightfully so, because it's not, an, it's not an easy thing to understand. Now, to you, that sounds kind of silly, but if you had lived in a culture that for 1,600 years had obeyed the law and had been told, I mean, when, as a guy, you're born, eight days later, you're circumcised, and you're in the covenant, and you are this, unless you're not, and if you're not, we either kill you or kick you out of town. So covenant was circumcision, and, and Paul is teaching out amongst the Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised, circumcision is nothing. But to the Jew, for 1,600 years, it was covenant. And Jews all across the world, when they left the Babylonian captivity, they were in captivity for 70 years for idolatry, idolatry. some of them didn't go back to 
Israel. When the captivity was over, they spread all over the world. They were called the diaspora. And while they couldn't obey the Mosaic law, which they were assigned to as children, as the elect of God, because they were so far from the tabernacle, or from the temple, and they couldn't do it. So the three things that they held to primarily were the Jewish calendar, Sabbath days and feast days, the dietary laws, and circumcision. And so you would find pockets of Jews around the world um, that felt they were Jewish because they kept the Sabbath, they kept food, food days, and they were circumcised. So when Paul met those Jews, he didn't start right off by blasting them about what they believed. He began to introduce them to Christ. You understand, because you approach people from where they are, not from where they're supposed to be. You have to be smart enough to do that. So if he was ministering to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law that I might gain them, that are under the law. Verse 21, to them that are without law, as without law. Do you see the three things he says, Jews... I acted like a Jew. Those that were under the law, whether they were proselytes elsewhere, someplace outside of Jerusalem or in Jerusalem, he understood where they were and he didn't say, I'm under the law. He just recognized what they were doing and so he did everything not, that he could feasibly not to offend them so he'd have the opportunity to tell them about Christ. And once you know Christ, then things start taking a different location, start going a different direction. Don't try to turn people into what they need to become until they get saved. Because there's no power source and no hope of doing it. And then he says, to them that are without laws, without law. If I go among the Gentiles, then I'm, I'm not concerned about trying to keep the Jewish laws and the Jewish rules. I'm just not concerned about that. But having said that, he also knows that he needs to qualify what he just said. And that's where our phrase comes in. He says, being not without law to God. Uh, one tr one um, translator, one scholar says, he says, I'm not an outlaw to God. But instead, I'm under the law to Christ, King James Version uh, in some of the other word-for-word -word translations, they say, I'm under the, the law of Christ or under Christ's law. But that isn't exactly the Greek. It's in namos Christu, which means in law to Christ. In law to Christ. So this is where we get the second term. It's similar to Galatians 6 and 2, but it's not exactly the same. It's translated differently by different people because it's a difficult translation. And for those of you that get scared outside of the King James Version, I won't take you there. I'm taking you to the Greek. Enamos Christu. It's, it is in laud to Christ. What does that mean when you put that into... It means that I've been united with Christ. When you have an in-law, you, you better not be an outlaw to your in-laws, right? You have been joined together by a union. In-law to Christ. I'm subject to Christ's law. And what's Christ's law? Well, that's what we've been discussing all day, isn't it? 
Christ's law is not just what to do, but how to do the what to do. So he says, I'm not, with the Gentiles, I'm not under the law. But hey, just got to clarify it. I'm, I'm still subject to God because I'm subject to Christ. Brother Swigert says in his um, commentary that if a person has been joined to Christ, he is subject to the law of Christ. That's how he says it. And that's exactly right. You are in law. You are subject to. You are responsible for Christ's ethic. And that, again, is not just the morality, but it's how to do the what to do. Is everybody good with that? So that's where we get the term. And again, the second time, the second place, it's not, it's not as clear as Galatians, but yet there's not a scholar or, or practicing uh, Greek scholar that won't take it that way. Now, some have tried to say that Christ's law is the Mosaic law. And I just want to give you a few verses here that show you um, that there's no way that we are under Mosaic law. I just want to clarify it to you. So that Christ's law is not the Mosaic law. You are not under Mosaic law. That is not your covenant. First of all, the Mosaic covenant was transitory. And, and transitory means it's temporary. It was only built for the people coming out of, out of Egypt for a period of time. And everything in that covenant, the moral, civil, ceremonial laws, and we need to be real careful when we try to divide those up. Uh, it was Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century that actually did that for the first time. Um, and you won't find Paul dividing the law up into civil, ceremonial, and moral. To Paul, the law was the law. When he said law, it was the whole enchilada. It was everything in it, right? So um, we do that because we don't quite understand what scholars refer to as a term continuity. Things that we see that in the new covenant that have continued, and yet they were first given to us in the old covenant. Well, if they've continued, does that mean that I'm still bound to the old law? No. It means that under the new covenant, that truth was once again reiterated as my responsibility. And that's different. Okay. Um, let's see, where am I? Arkansas. Razorbacks. Who's the coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks? Nobody? Nobody's got a coach? Come on. Who? Who? Sam. Sam. I'll just say Sam. Okay. Um, is he a new coach? Just got a new contract? Second year? Okay. So Sam, uh, coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, he say he comes in and he, he uh, his first year he does okay. And his first year he gets a contract for $15 million. I'm, get, I'm shooting figure. I'm guessing for being a coach or whatever he gets paid. I don't know what he gets paid. I'm guessing. Let's, let's take it down because I just shocked your socks off of you. So let's say he's getting paid $2 million in endorsements and whatever you're to pay to coach the Arkansas Razor. That's his contract. His contract. 
to coach Arkansas, he gets $2 million a year. So in, within five years, he takes Arkansas to the college football playoff, and they win. And he says, hey, guys, I want a new contract. And he jumps up from two mil to 15 million, and he signs the contract. So under the old contract, he worked all year round. He worked Monday through Friday. His insurance was this. He paid this with his bills, but his check was for two million. However, that was distributed. It makes me want to be a football coach, doesn't it? It's a two million, and he, get, he got that. That was the old contract. In the new contract, he comes in and he gets $15 million. But the things that were in his old, like when he works all year, what time did he run practice is the same in the old as it was in the new. Well, if he runs practice at the same time when he was under the old covenant or his old agreement, and he runs practice at the same time here, does it mean that he's under the old no, it's just that some things that were right passed from the first agreement into the second agreement. Are you following me? And so he's bound to them, not because of the old agreement, but because of what's in the new. And if they're similar or exactly the same, maybe his insurance didn't change and his cost for insurance didn't change under the new contract. Because it didn't change, is he under the old contract? No, it's a new contract. It's a new contract, but some of the activities and some of the responsibilities are still the same. Okay, under the old covenant, God revealed his nature and his character. Right? And guess what? Under the new covenant, God's nature and character hasn't changed. So if God said, be ye holy as I am holy, which he did on the old, and we find Christ or the apostle saying, be ye holy as I am holy, that responsibility, even though it's similar to the old, doesn't mean that you're under the old covenant. It means you're under the new covenant because it was spoken by Christ and or his apostles. So there's continuity in some aspects from old unto new. But it doesn't mean I'm under the old. I'm under the new. I have a better paycheck. I have a better covenant with better promises. Are you following that? Okay. So the Mosaic law was important. It was temporary. According to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, this temporary uh, setting is described. Wherefore does the, then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till. See that? Till the seed should come. The seed is Christ. So the law was, in, was the old contract that would have been abrogated at the coming of Christ. In the light and the knowledge of relationship with God through Christ, the law was no longer a necessary item. The law separated Israel from the rest of the nations, gave it dietary laws. Dietary laws were not, were not for health reasons. That's, that's wrong. Dietary restrictions was to separate them from the other nations. It was the concept 
the form of separation. Be ye separate. Be ye different. Don't eat that. Not because it was health-wise. It wasn't a health reason. It was Leviticus plainly says it was for separation, to make you different. You're the elect of God. But that separation of food and Sabbath days and feast days and all of that was lost when Christ came because now separation had to be eliminated from other nations because the elect of God once was just the Jewish nation, but now the elect is Jew and Gentile. So the enmity between Jew and Gentile created by the law had to be dispersed, had to be eliminated. If you're not Jewish, you couldn't have been in the covenant. But now what Christ did at Calvary has abolished the enmity between the Jew and the Gentile and made us all one in Christ. It's a new covenant. It includes everyone that walks into it, not through circumcision, but by faith. See it? So the entrance into that covenant was circumcision, but now it's faith. God had an entrance, that's the continuity, but the entrance into the covenant is different. Now, or let's go back to then. Then the covenant elect people of God were identified and started to learn what God was like through the Ten Commandments, through how they treated one another, through their government. But their government was set up under the Mosaic Law for a king, an anarchy, one, one person ruling. Part of the Mosaic Law and its 613 laws said whenever the king comes into power, he's to read the book. Guess what? That didn't carry over. Because now you have to read the book. <laughs> you have a better... It's new. But there are similarities. Don't be confused. Don't let people come to you and say, okay, now you need to keep the Sabbath day. Unless you can find it written in the New Covenant. Jesus said, this was interesting in the argument about the Sabbath, Jesus said that um, his guys, his disciples, didn't have to keep the Sabbath when they were with him. Remember the story? They came to him and they said, how come your guys, they're out there rubbing grain in their hands and harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Well, they were hungry. And mercy is more important than rules in God's mind. But that wasn't just it. Jesus looked at the Pharisees who were attacking his disciples who were out there getting something to eat by harvesting, which was against the law. Walking with Christ and doing those things that were against the law. And Jesus told the guys, he said, hey, listen, um, do you remember when David was hungry, what David did? He went into the place where it was not lawful for him and got the showbread and fed it to his men and himself. Do you not think about the priests who, when they work in the temple on the Sabbath, are not guilty of breaking the Sabbath? Why? Because they're working for God in the temple. They're doing the work of God in the temple. And then he said, okay, guys, now get this. A greater than the temple is here. I'm greater than the temple. 
And my disciples are my disciples, and they're doing their work. They're not in violation of not, commit, not keeping the Sabbath because they're with me, and the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So if you're in Christ, you're exempt. Or, or, this is what Jesus taught. Don't take my word for it. So the Sabbath is not carried over. The Sabbath is not Sunday. That's a misnomer. That's not right. Sabbath has always been Friday night to Saturday night, the seventh day. But all of these things from the Old Covenant gave us, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish. They gave us the forms. The forms of God's character in nature. Now, we have to be careful if we go back to the Old Covenant and we start looking to try to figure out what everything was. But let's, let's just take the form of the Sabbath day. So the form, again, going back to the concrete illustration, was just the form, what you would later pour something into. Jesus didn't tear down the form. He took the form into the New Covenant and he poured himself into it. And by that, fulfilled it, brought it up to its purpose, and then ripped off the boards and said, this is what it was all about. This is what it was meant to show you. That's forms for children. That's forms for servants, your sons. So I don't throw away the form, I fill it up, I complete it, I bring it to its purpose. And in Hebrews, we find the purpose for the Sabbath, that we might have a rest in Christ, not in a day, but in a person, because it was a form of the old, and rest is now carried into the new, I find my rest in Christ. Listen, you are complete in Him, you are fulfilled, filled up with Him. If you're in Him, you're right. Are you seeing it? So the Old Testament law is not Christ's law. Don't let somebody come along and, and teach you that. The Bible says in Romans 7 and 4 that we became dead to the law by the body of Christ. Romans 7 and 4. You might want to put that on the, on the screen all men are born accountable to the revelations of God. Okay, I'm getting kind of deep here. Are you okay? You with me? You traveling? Just a few more minutes, I'll let you go. The revelations of God begin with creation. You walk outside here. It's a little warm, but man, nature is beautiful. Even twisted by the fall. I love the woods. I love nature. And the Bible says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation says, somebody did this. We didn't just crawl out of a mud hole and became it. Your own body so definitively made, everything in it for a purpose. Look, even your nose hairs are there for a reason. Ooh. Right? To fil filter out COVID-19 before it gets down into your system. So, right? 
God did that. Creation is a witness to the fact that we have a creator. Then conscience. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, every boy and girl ever born is born with a conscience. That proves that we were created by a moral creator. Now, the problem with our conscience is that it's easily seared. When we start doing the wrong thing, searing is like taking an iron and burning your skin, and then the skin, you can't feel it anymore. Our conscience isn't a good guide long-term because sin will sear it. But the Bible says in Romans 1 that, it, that men who do not turn to God try to find him through the evidences of creation and conscience will be thrown into hell. It doesn't save them, that revelation that God gave in creation and conscience, but it should drive them to find. And in their search for finding God, they should come in line with you and me who are proclaiming who God is and how to have a relationship with him. That's our job. But anyway, the revelation of God men are accountable to. When God gave the law, this initial law, all men became accountable to the law. Every person born is accountable to the Mosaic law because it is the third revelation of God. They're accountable to the law of creation, the law of conscience, and the law of Moses that holds the Ten Commandments. That's why people oftentimes use the Ten Commandments as a ministry to witness. You know, well, do you do this? Then you've broken God's law. Not, not wrong in itself, because it still represents the nature and character of God. You follow me? So if you're in violation of any of God's revealed laws, guess what? Separated from God forever. The Bible says in Galatians, verse 3 and 23, can you put it on the screen? These guys are so good. This makes it so easy. Galatians chapter 3 and 23. Watch. But before faith came, we, who's we? Not rocket science. Who's we? See, I'm pointing with you. All of us, all of us, men, women, boys, and girls, before faith in Christ was what we were, we were kept. And remember, he's writing to Gentiles, mostly in the Galatian church. So Jew and Gentile, we were kept where? What were we accountable to? The law. And there it's specifically the Mosaic law. We were shut up by the law. But the law not only protects, but it also condemns. That's why Paul calls the law a ministry of condemnation. Go with me to Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, there we were sitting under the law, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law to do what? Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law. Who did Jesus come to redeem? Everybody. So everybody was under I'm just making a point. You were under the law. You were bound by the Mosaic, the revelation of God. You were accountable to the revelation of God. You were accountable to it. 
And if you didn't keep it the way that God said and perform it perfectly, then God sent you to eternity without himself. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Look at Romans 7 verse 4. If you were born under the law, that means you were married to the law. You were accountable to the law. You were married to the law. And Paul teaches in Romans 7 that there's only one thing that really ends a marriage. Death. Because death changes relationships. Remember that quote? Yeah. Death changes relationships. Tristan knows what I'm talking about. Death changes relationships. You were under the law. Condemned by the law. And you didn't even know it. So you had to be released from that. And the only thing that can release you from the authority and responsibility to the law is a death. And when I said yes to Jesus, I was united with him. I was crucified with him. Buried with him. And then raised up with him to live in him from a brand new power source. A new source of life. And it was through that death, burial, and resurrection that I experienced that the power of the sin nature, Romans 6, was broken. Not just the debt of sin, but the power of sin. That's what Romans 6 teaches us, that my union with Christ, my becoming one with him, my becoming in-lawed to Christ, set me free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. But that's not all. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead, not just to the sin nature, but dead to the Mosaic law, by the body of Christ when I was united with Christ. I became dead to the old covenant responsibility and authority. It no longer has authority over me. I'm no longer bound by the law. I'm no longer married to the law. And I needed to be redeemed from under the law. But when I'm joined to Christ, I no longer am subject to the Mosaic law. But I am raised in newness of life to live in Christ. And now I am married... Not to the law, which was my first husband, if you will, but I'm married to Christ. I'm in Lord, subject to Christ. I'm subject to him, all that he is, all that he has, all that he can do, his ethic and the how to do, the what to do. I'm in Lord to Christ. I'm married to another. If you're confused and just not sure who you're married to, that's the one who is raised from the dead. Who is that? Drop a name on me. Louder. Jesus. Okay, so you're married to Christ. You were married to the Mosaic law. It held you. You were redeemed from that by joining Christ. And the same thing that sets you free from the powers of darkness, 
The world, the flesh, and the devil also has set you free from the Mosaic law. So the Mosaic law is not my covenant, but I have been in lawed, joined to, married to Christ, and now I am subject to Christ. I'm subject to Christ's law. You see it, the law of Christ, I'm subject to him. How do I have relationship with him? How do I live for him? I'm married to him that we should what? Not rocket science, just text. Well, we should what? What? Bring forth fruit. How do you bring forth fruit in Christ? You place your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. And the law of the spirit of life begins to work in you. And now the fruit of the spirit, love. There's your motivator. Joy, peace. All the actions are being produced by the work of the spirit through your faith in Christ and your union in Christ. So when I say I'm under Christ's law, it's not the law of men. It's not the law of the Jews. It's not outlawed like Gentiles were. But instead, I've been united to Christ and He is my head. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And I belong under the authority of Christ. I'm Christ's law. I'm under Christ's Law, not just what to do, but how to get it done. All the beautiful promises and power that's in the new covenant, not the old, but in the new. And just because there's similarities of God's nature and character, don't get confused. If you can find it in the new covenant, said as your responsibility, it's Christ's law. But then don't ever take Christ's law and say, oh, I'll do that without understanding how to do, the what to do. And no one attribute of the work of the Spirit, such as love, in and of itself is the how to do. The how to do is the message of the cross. Faith in Christ and Him crucified, which releases the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the power source for the Christian. I'm sorry if I'm excited about it. No, I'm not either. I'm under Christ's law. And the faith, the message of the cross tells me what to believe in, tells me where I am in Christ. But then good old-fashioned, drop your water bottle, good old-fashioned preaching that tells us what we need to look like and what we need to become that's centered in the teachings and preachings of Christ and the apostles of the new covenant is also necessary. Oh, I wanted to get to this. I'm going to. Quickly, I just have three minutes and then I'm over my time and we all turn into pumpkins. It's been said, and I understand this to a point. When you accept the message of the cross, the Spirit of God begins to work in us. But we need to be very careful about the term automatically. And here's the reason. 
The Holy Spirit does work automatically when your faith is right. But yet there's a need for you and I to renew our minds. Which means that our mind used to think one way, but as we start reading this, it tells us how we need to think. And even as a born-again believer, remember the new covenant has this that the old covenant did have, did not have, and that was the entrance of the Holy Spirit who teaches you all truth. But have you ever discovered there was truth that the Holy Spirit hadn't taught you that came from this book or a preacher? You mean I'm supposed to look like that? And until I preached it to you, you never saw it. Okay. Um, when I was born again, the filth that I was involved with was pretty raunchy. So I'm, I'm not going to embarrass myself much by what I'm about to tell you, but as a young man in my 20s, single, when I got saved, pornography was all over the house. It was just... My buddies used to come over who were married or just buddies, and oh, well, you know, this was there, this was there, this was there, this was there. And when I got saved, you get, again, don't judge me. I, I things were changing, and they were changing quickly. And two weeks after I got saved, the the cocaine went. A few weeks after that, I have a, I have a calendar, still have it. I put it in my big Bible that I read when I got saved, and it's a calendar of 1986, and I marked when these big things happened. But this one, I'm not sure where it happened, maybe a month after I got saved. I was walking through my house one day, maybe a month, month and a half after I got saved, and looked down, and there's a Playboy magazine on my, along with other magazines that I won't mention, on my, on my coffee table. And all of a sudden, I looked at it, and I said, oh, well... I can't have that. Why didn't I see that a month and a half before? Why did it take me a little while to recognize that that which is so easily seen by you was not right? Because not everything automatically, instantly comes to us. We grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Now, if you think for one minute I'm encouraging you to buy Playboy, mm -mm. I asked my students one day <laughs> in class, Marie, you might have been there, I don't remember, but it, it, it was, I said, what's wrong with having a Playboy in your class? One guy from New York in the back stood up and said, it costs too much. I said, not really the uh, answer I was looking for. <laughs> what happens is that we're learning, and the Spirit of God does dwell, and He is the master teacher. But when the preacher comes along and says, don't do this, and it ties in with the Word of God, the Spirit of God says, that's right. Amen. And we don't get all that automatically because of the depth of sin and even the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 that 
the new man needs to be renewed in knowledge. You didn't get saved, and all of a sudden, you just knew the message of the cross. Somebody had to teach you what to place your faith in. Oh, the love for God was there. The desire for God was there. But you didn't know everything that you needed to know. So Christ's law includes the authoritative voice of Christ and his apostles telling us how to have a relationship with God, how it works, what it produces, and what I am supposed to become. That, my friend, is Christ's law. So when you hear a cross-preaching preacher preach a message on stop, and he gives you a ethic, an ethical principle from the Word of God. He's not preaching law to you. He's preaching morality that is a part of Christ's law, but he must always come to you and tell you how to do the what to do, which is also included in Christ's law. And I'm closing with this. What I did, and I know it's why I caution you when you start studying Christ's law, what I did was I started saying, oh, yeah, I'm responsible. Man, I didn't see this is kicking my backside. And I'm looking at all the things Christ said, and, oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And I've been in this thing 35 years, and I just didn't see what the authority of Christ was saying. And it, it hit me, you know. And then the Great Commission, he said, teach all those things that I have commanded you. And I'm like, oh, and I thought, well, I'll make a list. That's what I'll do. See, you give flesh any chance to take over under Christ's law, and it will. The ethics are right to teach and preach. But make sure that you understand that Christ's law is not just the ethical principles, not just the what to do. Christ's law has at its foundation the what to do, the law of faith, what we place our faith in. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the power sources of the believer. And the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the ethic. Taking out what I should leave off. And putting in by the power of God's spirit what I need to become. And we need to become him little by little. Here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept. So I don't grieve over what I'm not. I move forward by faith and grace into Christ's law, the law of Christ. Amen? I'm in law to Christ. Got to go. It's uh, overtime, so I'm going to quit. Uh, hopefully, um, this study was something that I'll be writing about, teaching about in its entirety. We haven't covered it yet in the network. I'm slowly introducing it. Um, but I believe that I have the mind of God in this, and I'm going to keep teaching it and preaching it to where we as the believers and those that preach the message of the cross are free to preach ethic and morals because we can tell people how to accomplish what we're telling them to become. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for all these that have gathered here. Lord, help us to put in balance Christ's law, to accept it, to recognize it as that which we've been 
joined to in Christ, to be subject to Christ and all that that maintains. Bless the people as they go forward from this place, and we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you want a ministry product that's left, there'll be someone at the table. God bless you. We'll be back at 7 o'clock tonight. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.